All right, everybody, welcome back to the Zoda Five Million Dollar Podcast. And you've heard my name. We haven't heard my name. You've you've heard my voice, and it's normally Sean doing this. It's me again, and uh, it's just me and my guest today. So a bit of different for you, but Sean's going to be back, and we've got a whole bunch of episodes with him planned for you. So he's not gone. He's just away doing some stuff, and uh, it's holiday season as well around here. So people are taking a vacation all the time. But today I've got Josh with me, and Josh is a really experienced and really top level sales rep. And I wanted to have him on because, A, I've been on his podcast and what he had to share with me, just the chat we had, I thought was really good fun. And uh, I thought that you folks would enjoy that too. But I wanted to get into his career. Like, how did he start? How did he go from A to B to C to D and so on? It's always nice to hear about the big wins and all those things, but also any big fails or big learning lessons, those sorts of things. And um, one of the massive things in my career, which has helped me exponentially, is just working under brilliant managers and leaders and mentors and those types of things so i'm curious about josh's story and, and what's gone on there so josh welcome to the show dude how you doing i'm doing quite well nice to hear your voice again and i'm excited to do this yeah well uh, well let's get into it then so i didn't really do too much of a, of a background on you so so why don't you help everybody out and let them know like where you come from and, and all those types of things and maybe how you got into the, the sales world and then we'll kind of go through the story from there yeah, you know, I'm a career entrepreneur slash seller. I uh, went to broadcast school in college. So being a podcaster myself is a little bit of me trying to pretend I got to be what I wanted to be when I was a kid, which was a broadcaster. You but, know what? That's so funny. Sorry to interrupt you. That's the same as me. I wanted to be the commentator on uh, on soccer games and yeah. I never did it. So So here I am commentating on our industry and other things. It's really odd how you, how you just said that. And I never thought of myself doing that, but I am. So, so it's kind of cool, isn't it? Like we take yeah. this thing that we thought we would be when we were a kid. And now there's this outlet that anyone can do. And, you know, because it's a passion for you and you enjoy it, you just kind of stick to it. I know most podcasts fail within like the first five episodes, but you know, for someone like you and me, it's, it's just fun. So we just mm. keep doing it. Yeah. With you. So, um, so yeah, sorry to cut you off. So, you're, no problem. Where did you get to and, uh, and how do things carry on? Yeah. So when I was graduating from college, I didn't really want to get a job per se, a real job. So I reached out to one of my closest friends who was already working. He had you know dropped out of college, so to speak. And I said, Hey man, let's start a business. And he's like, dude, what are you talking about? We have no money, no contacts, no real experience. Why would we start a business? And what would we do? I said, well, we're going to do what you do. He's like, well, you don't know how to do what I do. I go, sure, but I'll sell it. He's like, you're crazy. And basically hung up on me for lack of a better word. And two weeks later, I get a call from him and he's like, you know what? I was thinking about what you said. Let's do it. Let's start a business. I'm like, all right, great. He's moves back to Phoenix. We start up this company. It's called Paper Street Production Company. And again, no money, no experience, no contacts. We just start getting after it, right? Like going through Rolodex, who do we know? What doors can we open? And essentially we did live event production and video production. Um, we stumbled upon a interesting relationship in the automotive training world. We started producing live events for, autom for the automotive industry and did that for like four or five years. Um, and it was interesting, you know, what we learned the two of us is we had built pretty decent jobs for ourselves, but it really wasn't a scalable, sustainable business. If we weren't grinding and hustling, there was no revenue coming in the door. So 
we both wound up coincidentally getting married in the same year. And we said, and we were on the road nine, 10 months out of the year. And we said, listen, we need to go learn something else. We need to learn how to build and scale business. Maybe we come back together at some point, maybe we don't, but let's break this. It's been fun and move on to something else. So at that point I was introduced, you know, relationships are everything. You'll see the common thread throughout my life and my career is that they all start with relationships. So I started with my first business with my best friend. When I was going through this transition, my wife's mom was dating a guy who owned a production company. We started talking at dinner one night and he said, well, listen, we're going through a transition ourselves. We're transitioning our production company into something that's more modern. This was say 2006, five, six, seven. And they had got hit really hard by 9-11 in the United States. So they were taking their production business and turning it into an e-learning business, reusing those resources somewhere, somewhere else. He said, I need someone who can sell, kind of come in figure out, can we translate some of the book we have into e-learning? And then how can we go to market and find a new way to sell this, this e-learning given that, you know, maybe e-learning was a little bit fresh, but still corporate e-learning, educational e-learning, those are already big saturated markets. So how could we find our, our way in there? And you talked about mentors in your intro. Steve Hawes, who was the president of Resolutions at the time, he is, was, was one of my first real big mentors in my career because he really dug deep into consultative selling, how to dive into the problem, really building business cases, and not just looking at straight line sales, really thinking about how do we identify markets and how do we do something differently, right? Instead of just the traditional, hey, pound the phones, do emails, whatever. He said, let's look at our solution. Where can we make it fit, right? Corporate e-learning is not going to work. It's saturated. Higher ed e-learning is not going to work. It's saturated. So what we wound up doing was taking our services, partnering with subject matter experts in industries that were highly regulated and needed to show the results and were somewhat unsophisticated. So the examples were productized insurance, mine safety, green building. Um, the other big one was airport security. So we wound up building these niched vertical market businesses where we branded individual little companies partnering with a subject matter expert in each of those industries, building out the content, the creative, bolting it onto our learning management system, which was basically just a, a really basic LMS. It was good for tracking reporting and that's it, but that's what those industries needed. So we created, turned our core company resolutions into a shared service for all these under businesses and our selling, you know, what I learned to sell was basically starting businesses finding the SMEs, partnering with them, building the model, aligning them with our team to build content and then going out and selling into that industry. So it was a really interesting learning experience with me. I grew tremendously in that time. And, you know, things started to, you know, it wasn't, it went south, but, it, you know, after seven years, it was time to move on. It was time to, to look at some different things. And interestingly enough, if we keep with the theme of relationships, during that time that I was, you know, running sales and pseudo marketing for that company, I reconnected with an old friend from grade school and he had been running a payment processing company and also had this professional services startup that he was running. 
um, on the payment processing side, he was looking for some sort of differentiation. So actually I wound up selling him an e-learning platform that he used on his payment processing company as a differentiator. But the interesting thing was during that time, he started sending me these screenshots of emails of me looking at his website, scoring my activity, doing all these things. It was the very early days of marketing automation. And he was white labeling Marketo for, for those of you that don't know Marketo, it's a marketing automation platform. One of the, the early players still around today. And he was showing me all this stuff. He's like, pretty cool, huh? I'm like, all right. So we get back together. We have lunch again. Long story short, he sells me Marketo, helps me implement it, implement it with salesforce.com, which was our CRM at the time. And I'm off and running. And, you know, three or four years later, I'm an early power user on this marketing automation platform. So as I'm trying to, I'm in transition, trying to think of what my next move is, I get a text from Justin who says, hey, I need someone who understands this stuff to help me sell it. My professional services startup for Marketo is, is, is growing a little bit. Do you want to come over? I said, yeah, timing's perfect. Let's do it. So at that point, I moved over to what was LeadMD, which was a Marketo professional services shop. We did implementation, optimization, and staff augmentation. We packaged our offerings in line with the software. And that was when I got into really the, the B2B SaaS, B2B tech world. And I've been doing that for the past eight years. A little bit of a long lead-in, but that's where I, I, I'm, I'm there-ish today. We got acquired last year, so the company name is different. Our service offerings are different, but that's how we got from you know college to 20-some years later. Cool. Well, it's a good story. And um, one thing I was picking up on as you sort of went through it, you didn't really call it out, but um, you've been sort of hit up by various people along the way to be, well, it sort of sounds like anyways, to be the first guy, like the first person who comes in and starts to try and sell some stuff rather than the, the first CEO, founder, whatever that's always the first role. You're, you're the one after that. Mm-hmm. Why do you think, aside from like the connections that you have, because as you said, the mentoring, the networking is always very important. But why do you think it was, what in your skill set, what in your character was the thing that drove them to you? Because, you know, anyone can be a founder and want to hire their first sales rep. The timing is obviously a, a thing, but using the connection is always a good thing. That's why we love using referrals for our, our hiring. But anyone can find like a plethora of sales reps online if they want to look for one. The fact that they knew you always helped, but what was it about you as well? Like You obviously made it work. So what was it that really drove you on from that point when you get in the door? Well, I think the first thing, if you're looking for your first sales rep and probably one of the things that people like about me is that I'm a little bit of a cowboy. Right. I don't necessarily like rules and process and don't need a lot of direction. I'm a self-starter, I'm a self-motivator. I'm naturally curious and just diving into new things and seeing them grow is exciting to me. So I would say, you know, if you're a, a founder looking to hire your first sales rep, you can't go and hire a guy from Oracle or Marketo or Salesforce or whatever it's going to be. I mean, they are entrenched in a system, in a methodology, in a process that was given to them. Starting from scratch is a completely different story. So I believe one of my superpowers is the ability to process and use information very quickly. And I can take in a lot of data and compress it really fast and use it in a meaningful conversation. And part of that was being, even though my business, like I said, wasn't a real business, I had to learn business fundamentals. I had to learn cash flow. I had to learn 
um, how to contract people. I had to learn profit margins. I had to learn how to read a PL. I had to read, learn to read a balance sheet. I had to pay taxes, you know, all of these different things that when you run a business, no matter how small, you get into the head, into the mindset of a business owner, a CEO. Those are the things that they think about, maybe on a larger scale. But now when I'm in the room with anybody like that, you know, selling into the C-suite, I can have those conversations. I'm comfortable having those conversations because I did it. So I think my business acumen, I got an MBA early on without an MBA just by being thrust into the waters. And people seem to appreciate that. I really haven't interviewed much in my life, maybe once, but um, that's the only thing people want to talk about is my experience as a, as a 22 year old entrepreneur. It's kind of interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you sort of learn business as a whole, not like how to be a sales rep or how to be Correct. a marketer. You just did like a crash course through time continuously on let's do all of it. And in your fairness, like a lot of people, I find they say, particularly say my generation, they always say, well, you know, sales reps these days, they don't want to pick up the phone. Well, yeah, that's because sales reps of the previous generation, that's all they did. They didn't even bother emailing anyone or, or email for even some wasn't actually even a thing at that point or not in at least anywhere near what it is today. So it's almost like a precondition. If you're going to be a sales rep today, email, phone, maybe social media, like that's you, you're in a box and that's what you do. But for you, like the way that you've had to work it out on your feet without those boxes to even be in to begin with, you've um it's like identifying markets identifying icps and then going even from there whereas sometimes i could let's say i joined a company tomorrow as, as an sdr they already know roughly how to approach people i don't have to think and have to do any of it i just sort of do as you're meant to do and, and hopefully that works but you've had none of that and you've had to build it all on trial and error and intuition and like acumen sort of thing right yeah, you know, you could argue that I didn't actually learn how to be a sales rep until 2014 when I started at LeadMD. And that's because our go-to-market model was partnering with the, the Marketo reps and selling to them to help bring to, to convince them to bring me into their sales cycles to do the professional services, right? So that's when I got exposure to B2B SaaS. And how that world works. So I didn't really learn the ins and outs of hardcore B2B selling until later in my career after I had, you know, kind of founded a business, started doing, you know, the vertical niche vertical markets with the learning company and like the more traditional, this is what B2B SaaS selling looks like. I probably learned a little bit later in my career. So here's a good one for you then. What, if anything, was jarring when you went hardcore into sales itself as not not anything like what you were doing before. You're now like sales team. There's, I know you said you had like Salesforce and other things, but mm. there's a lot more words like pipeline rather than revenue because you're in a sales team rather than being the business and the and the you know CEO or or second in in a command, whatever it may be. What was the big like? Oh, this is what we do. Moment for you that anything that jumped out at all? Yeah, the the sheer amount of process was mind boggling to me. Right, like. All of this stuff in CRM just blew my mind because that wasn't my world, right? Like I used Salesforce, but I didn't, you know, really use it, right? I just used it as a contact repository and, you know, kept some tasks in there. But the amount of process that people follow was crazy to me. And then 
the interesting thing I learned really early on, you know, in day one, I remember at Lead MD, Justin brought me in. He said, Hey, I've got a lead for you. Let's go take a call together. I'm like, okay, great. So we go, we take this call together. I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. This makes a lot of sense. It seems like a deal. Like my assumption was that was going to be a deal. And that deal never wound up closing. So I learned really quickly in that world to understand where the buyers are, try to meet them at their stage and not just assume that things were going to close. I think early on, I just assumed that things were going to close. They talked to me, we had a good conversation, you know, whatever. It was just different than the other type of selling I had done. So I had to start to understand and pick up cues of what real urgency looked like, how hard you could push on people when you needed to take a step back to take a step forward, you know, those types of things. Okay. So that, that's an interesting one. You could argue you had to do that before, but I know Correct. why you say you had to do it more so, or maybe it was more like evident to you at that point. So in your opinion, is, is that a bad thing? Or, or a good thing. I think in some ways it's good, but as like, this is sort of the argument for working for yourself. No one can tell you what to do. There's no process to tell you what to do. It's just your gut and your instinct. So if you feel like, you know, oh crap, we need this deal. Like we're, we're going to hit quarter or something, or we're going to be able to hire someone in the next few weeks, which we need to do to build that new feature, whatever it is, we've got to get this deal going through. It's the biggest one we're looking at let's make it worth it to them. Let's, you know, find a way you get to do that when it's just you, but when you're on a sales team per se, it is different. And there's more of that sort of, well, you know, can we do this? What terms can we draw up? But the manager says, no, those things happen. So was that surprising to you? Well, it's really interesting. So prior, I, I basically was eat what you kill, right? I was an entrepreneur and then I was working for a company that we didn't, you know, we didn't really have quotas and things like that. We were trying to build businesses. So, you know, I ate what I killed and I didn't have a lot of safety net. So you have that natural inclination, like, well, listen, I got to make money. So I'm going to sell stuff. But I would argue that moving into that environment was the best thing for me because to your point, there was a quota there was this comp plan now that had all these different like kickers and accelerators and things like that, that were kind of exciting. So I never got to the point where I pushed myself or other people as hard as I did in those early days at LeadMD. And that was just a function of, like you said, working on a sales team, having this process, having someone that I had to answer to specifically other than just myself and just going hard. And, you know, the other part of it is, I wasn't always selling my own deal. Oftentimes I was selling with a SaaS partner, right? So those reps are also aggressive. They have incentives. They have a boss breathing down their neck. So I learned how they worked and how they operated. So it was certainly a crash course in creating urgency, using process, and really trying to understand the human psychology of the sales process. So I, I, I would agree with you. I do think there's a lot of value for folks to get thrust into that environment. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so I'm, I'm just sort of thinking through what else might have been like a, a surprise or, or a change for you when you started, you know, when you made that sort of transition between how things have been done for you is, um, I'm trying to think how, how best to word it. I imagine you, you dealt with a bit more of a stack, like a sales stack or a lot more technologies and those things mm -hmm. when things got bigger than you did sort of working for yourself or in a, in a very small team. Was that, a, is that true? And, and B, was that a bit of a th difficult thing to get used to as well? It is true. And for the size of company we were, you know, keep in mind when I started at LeadMD, we were maybe a 
two and a half, $3 million company. And for that size of company, we had a ridiculously large stack, like insane. And that's only grown over time. So getting used to that and tracking in that was certainly a bit of a, an eye opener for me. I'm, I often say that I'm on the, I'm kind of in that weird, I don't know what generation I am. I don't know if I'm a a millennial. I don't know if I'm Gen X. I, I don't really know. I'm kind of in between. But what I do know is I'm at that interesting point where I remember a significant part of my life without the internet, without technology, without anything like that. But I've lived a significant part of my life with it. So I'm savvy enough to pick up on it. And it wasn't that hard to do. I mean, I can do it, but I still, you know, to this day, I'm not great at running Salesforce reports and things like that. It's not really what I love to do, but um, it certainly has been one of those things. that was a shock and took a little bit of time to get used to. I remember on my first week, I met with my boss in the morning and in the evening for an hour every day, just to go through like all the SaaS tech that we used and how he, we used them to manage our day and manage flow. And it was crazy, right? And I still, to this day, have this little page. I don't even know if people use this anymore, but it's a just a, a page. It's called like my faves. And it's got all these tiles that you can organize yourself. So I've got a Salesforce tile. I've got a, a, a Marriott tile, a Southwest tile. I've got a tile to zoom info, you know, all the different, SAS tech that I use and you can just click on it and pulls up. It's just like a, basically a bookmark page to, to put it simply. And I still have that page to this day and I've modified it a few times over the years, but it's kind of crazy that that was literally my first week in 2014. My boss set that up with me and it's one of those things that I still go back to. Yeah. I know what you mean. Sometimes people feel like they've got the biggest stack in the world, but trust me, you go somewhere else and you'd be shocked. Some companies have the most wild list of tools that they use and they don't even know like half the names correct um, correct okay man good stuff i got one more question for you before we'll, we'll wrap up so um what what in your opinion is something that a lot of sales teams do that's just like crazy or just unproductive that sort of thing because i think when you're a, when you are a founder or you're very close to it in the, in the experiences that you've had you really strip things right back to the absolute core primarily because like there's no reason to complicate it and cash flow as well. Like you can't buy really expensive tools and things like that. You just don't need it. You're focusing on getting on with selling it. But then when you come over to a bigger sales team and those things, you're more, ex- more exposed to other SaaS sales teams. You spot all of these complicated things going on. What's a silent killer? What's something that's crept up on you and, you and you've noticed in other teams that, you know, from that experience, not other people, not many others would be able to actually spot it. I think SaaS teams over index on the concept of qualification and they don't really understand what it means. Nobody on the other side wants to be qualified. It's a bad feeling. So they've turned qualification into a box checking exercise versus really a conversation with the right people and understanding what they're trying to accomplish and figuring out if we can solve that problem. Um, If people spent more time doing that, qualification would naturally work itself out and you'd have a better story to tell your leadership as to why this deal may or may not close versus checking a qualification box by an SDR or an AE or whatever it may be. I think that we've gotten really hung up on Bant and Medic and all these different things that frankly don't matter. 
it's not a qualification is not a point in time. It's a very fluid situation. Someone may be highly qualified today and completely unqualified tomorrow based on any number of factors. So that's one thing I think people get way too hung up on when they look at their pipeline. Um, there's got to be a, a better way to understand the fluidity of a, of a real situation. I'm with you for the most part. I think like those things are really important, but I'm going to blame. It's like the VC cultures for that. It's a little bit, right. We've got to scale, but not everyone we're going to hire is going to be unconsciously competent with this. So we've got to like, this might be a bit offensive, but we've got to baby people by making it stupid, simple with acronyms and, all these things. And then when you get to that sort of stuff, when it scales out, it does become noticeable and that's where it all goes wrong. So you get people doing the band, you know, tick boxing and all those things. And I've been on them. People have ran them. You get asked the same questions over and over and over and over and over again. And, you know, anybody in the world could have ran that call because we've all taken the same course or been told right. to do the same thing, but it takes a bit more unconscious sort of, competency a bit more experience to just know and be able to have that chat and sort of get similar information if not different or maybe even the same but without having to do it in such a sort of yawn way for the prospect because we do really notice it so i know what you mean but um but anyways rant aside i've uh, i've dragged this on a little bit over time so i want to make sure everybody follows you before you uh, before you check out dude so where can i follow you where can i find out more about you and your podcast yeah, the two easiest places to find me, one on LinkedIn, I'm just Josh Wagner, J-O-S-H-W-A-G-N-E-R. And then my podcast is lovesellinghatesales.com. Cool. I definitely recommend you go over to the podcast. And, uh, you know, I did wonder, how comes he's got such good graphics and videos for a you know, person doing it by himself? And then you told me about your background and now it all makes sense. So it's uh, <laughs> good stuff. But uh, that's it for today, everybody. So thanks very much for listening. If you made it this far, we appreciate you. Make sure if you want to do me a quick favor, leave us a five-star review. And if you wanted to catch next week's episode, you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. And that's it. We'll leave you with that. Thank you again for listening. And we'll see you on the next one.